The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. And if you like this podcast, I think you'll like our newsletter, so check them out. I'm talking today with David Hodges, an investigative reporter with Charlotte TV station WBTV. We're going to look a little closer at his work digging into the May 18th, 2023 fire at a South Park construction site. We're going to talk about the many things that went wrong that day that led to the deaths of two construction workers, DeMonte Sherrill and Reuben Holmes. In September, WBTV released a special report called WBTV Investigates, Fire and Failure. And it's really a remarkable piece of serious and thorough reporting. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. David, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to dive into this uh, even deeper. Great. So, David, the reason I wanted to talk to you is, first of all, you're in WBTV's work on this is just really great. It's not an easy topic to report. It's sensitive. Two people lost their lives. You know, there were gripping stories of other people who almost lost their lives. And it's very complicated. And what you and the WBTV team have done is woven together these investigative reports, security, video, fire, emergency communications, interviews. And it's it's really a very approachable way to understand all this. It's a very serious topic. There are obviously some breakdowns that allowed this to happen. You've been reporting on those for the last several months. So I want to definitely get into that. I also want to talk a little bit about how you and the team at WBTV and to a larger extent, the media industry, approach these kind of stories. And now investigative stories by their nature are often very hard. You have a lot of people putting up obstacles in your path. And I don't know that most people fully understand the time and the effort that go into doing what you did, which looks to me like it's you doggedly pursued public records, which WBTV has a reputation of doing. And you <laughs> conducted interviews, you wove all that together. It's an important and compelling piece of work. And incidentally, this is all coming against a backdrop, I think, of a media environment that seems to reward quick hits and short attention spans. This is a video that you all produce with an accompanying text. And the video is about 45 minutes. It, it really seems to me kind of like a dateline or a 48 hours or a 60 minutes type of piece. It's, it's extremely well done. So maybe the best place to start is what was the WBTV newsroom like on the morning of May 18th, 2023? It, you know, it definitely was a, a place where it's just trying to get pieces together and figure out how serious of a deal this is. You hear about a fire. Uh, I mean, the fire department first off responds to, I mean, hundreds of emergencies every day from car crashes to, to house fires to, to bigger fires and emergencies like this. And as you piece together more information, you realize that this is an all hands on deck situation. So we had multiple crews that went out to the fire. Being an investigative reporter, what I started doing immediately was digging into the to the building's history through permit records. So going on to the uh, Mecklenburg County uh, website where you can see who the contractor is, what types of inspections have happened, what hasn't happened yet. And that's kind of how I started getting into this this world of what was going on at this construction site a little bit. Yeah. So but, I'm sorry. So how many how yeah. many reporters did you have working on this on that day? And how does that kind of spread? Like you're saying, you know, oh, hey, there's a fire in South Park. It's like, OK. Let's send a crew out there. And like, how did that escalate to becoming known that it was something really serious? Yeah, I, I think some of it's just listening. You know, first off, it's it's getting on to the uh, radio communications channel that Charlotte Fire Department is is also communicating on, which, you know, anybody at home could do 
and starting to listen to see, well, how many crews are they sending this now to? They pretty quickly went to a second alarm, that third alarm fire, and then we're evacuating the, the, the building for, of firefighters. So we tried to respond as, as quickly as we could. And, and pretty much when something that large is happening, almost every single reporter in the station is working on it. You still have to try and cover some of the other news of the day, but that's maybe a reporter or two at best. Everyone else is focused on this and making sure that we have every element that we possibly can in the shows, um, gathering information. Of course, the two gentlemen who lost their lives, trying to figure out uh, who they are, what type of guys they were, uh, what went wrong. So it's it's an all-hands endeavor at that so, point. So what were you doing specifically? You're an investigative reporter. You know, I'm, I'm guessing you're not out at the scene necessarily, you know, doing stuff, the spot news element of it. You said, I think, pulling build, uh, building permits, construction permits, that kind of thing. Is that what, yeah, what so you I were was, doing I, initially? That, that's what that's immediately what I went to work doing. Uh, we we send so many people out there. I'm not uh, especially more talented than anybody else at being on TV, but what I do try and pride myself on is the ability to try and dig deeper and look for elements of, you know, what exactly was going on in this building. You know, we have people who are amazing at their jobs at going out to the site and, and, and talking to people and figuring out what's going on. I was trying to stay behind the scenes and gather information about who the contractor was in this case, how far along were they in the building process, what type of inspections had been done on the building, so how far along were they in the framing of the building, plumbing, had they installed um, any fire sprinkler systems yet, things of that nature. And that's really what I was digging into immediately. And it was kind of going down that path that I started learning more about issues with not just this building, but other buildings across Charlotte in terms of uh, certain fire inspections not being done and things of that nature. Yeah. So, I mean, how did this progress? Obviously, you know, an event like this, it happens. There's, you know, the, the first day story, the second day story, more information comes out. I think they didn't release the names of the, the two men who died. I think it was a two or three days or something. I mean, yeah. information dribbling out. How are you conceiving of this, like in your head, like, you know, making sure, okay, did they have the required inspection? I mean, that's sort of the, is that sort of the obvious, the first scratch sort of obvious yeah, thing? That's, that's exactly the first thing that I, that I was checking is, you know, you have like any one of these construction sites, especially for a construction project, like an apartment, two apartment complexes with um, hundreds of units, you're going to have a lot of different building inspectors out there from both the county and then also from the from the city and the fire department checking to see if everything is being done correctly. Uh, they can approve the inspections. They can partially approve the inspections. They can fail the inspections. Inspections can cancel. Um, so it's kind of checking along that, but then it, it's not just being online and seeing what the internet is telling you. It's trying to call sources and say, Hey, what do I not know about, um, uh, this particular project? But then beyond that, what, what about this project might be a, uh, example of something that is a, a bigger, more widespread problem that you could see across the city. And then as we started finding out across the entire state and the country. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you, you talk about, you know, trying to understand the things that are going on at construction sites. You know, part of the skill of being a reporter is quickly getting up to speed and becoming an expert on yeah. something that you really know nothing about. I don't know if you had, a, a you know, other stories That is like 100% this the done. case for this story, yes. Okay. I mean, for most reporters, you know, they don't really have familiarity with construction sites or the construction industry for the most part. I mean, how hard is it to understand some of this stuff? I mean, you're talking about building codes, fire codes. A lot of things is very technical. Had you ever heard the word standpipe before? No, I, I, I can't. I can't say that I had. Standpipe, you know, incidentally, is the pipe. We're gonna we'll get into this, but the pipe is yeah. supposed to be there to, that they can plug into to 
you know, that has water that they can extinguish fires. With. If you if you live in a, an apartment high rise, you probably pass one going down the stairs if you decide to take the stairs every once in a while. But, you know, no, I don't really know about any of this stuff on the front end. And that's, you know, in terms of being an investigative reporter or, or any reporter in this market, it's just all about trying to have contacts that you keep in touch with who can help plug you into the right people to help you understand what's what's really going on and what needs to be done. And that's how I started really becoming acquainted with North Carolina Fire Code, International Fire Code, which are documents that are hundreds and hundreds of pages of long. And as we started finding out from experts, I'm not the only person who doesn't know them. A lot of contractors and builders don't know the fire codes as well, even though they're required to follow them. So it's just about trying to lean on those experts to know where to look and then doing some of the digging and verifying yourself. Okay, so in in the special report that you all produced, you know, you, you sort of broke down the problems on that day into three categories: preparation, notification, and evacuation. Let's go through each of those. So, what as it relates to this fire, what was the problem with preparation? So, preparation, what, what something that we keyed in on very quickly, and something that the fire department, Charlotte Fire Department, actually confirmed within. A couple of weeks of the fire happening was that the site did and this construction site did not have what's called a pre-fire plan and essentially as uh it's a document that's required by code and you fill it out if you're the construction team there and you're basically listing here's the welding that we're having to do on site other types of activities that could create essentially a high combustion here's where the hydrants are here's what we're going to do in, in case of an emergency how we evacuate Here's the person who's in charge of being our what's called a fire superintendent, essentially. So each one of these sites is supposed to have someone who's literally dedicated to being the fire expert on site. And having a plan like that essentially makes it so that when an emergency does happen, you're prepared for it. And you know what to do immediately when a situation like what happened here in South Park starts to unfold. This site did not have one of those. And what we were told by the experts who watched all the video that we put together from the construction security footage, the radio traffic, the 911 call, it was very clear they didn't have a plan done because they waited so long to call 911 and things of that nature. Okay. So that's the preparation side. The notification side, talk about that a, a little bit. Yeah. So I think, you know, for the experts, you know, notification was one of the, the big things here that was most disappointing. During this fire, the fire investigators notes say that it was discovered at 8.55. The experts believe that it probably likely started around 8.45, but then it was 8.55 when some of the construction crews started responding to this trailer that caught on fire that had these chemicals in it that's used to make uh, a foam insulation. They took fire extinguishers and tried to snuff out the fire uh, for about seven minutes. And then after seven minutes, that's when 911 was called for the first time. And the experts we spoke to say that that is just far too long. You need to try, and, and this was what's actually in um, OSHA as well as fire best safety practices. You can try and keep the fire contained with fire extinguishers, although in this case, the experts said it was really impossible to try and do. But you need to call 911 immediately. And that didn't happen for seven minutes that passed. And the more that we investigated the fire, the more we realized that, that seven minutes was critically, critically important. So notification is calling first responders and then also notifying everybody on the site, hey, there's a fire. Yeah, one of the most 
amazing parts to me was just watching the footage that you had was the security footage. You linked it up with the time and the, the communications to 911. And there's no real sense of urgency. You don't really see it. And maybe maybe it's the case that fires on construction sites are kind of common and they usually put them out. I don't know. But it's, there's not really the a lot of urgency. Is that yep. They often can just put them out. But that's also part of the problem because you think you can handle it. Right. OK. And what about then the evacuation? It's, so the evacuation, and and this is the critical part because obviously the two men who died in this fire, Monte Cheryl and Ruben Holmes, they did not successfully evacuate the site. What happened for the evacuation was that after 911 was called and towards the very tail end of the 911 call, you can see on the construction security footage, two men who drop the fire extinguishers and go to run up this north stairwell. And we have an interview from one of those men with one of the investigators on the site. And he said that they ran up the stair tower and were yelling fire, 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 trying to get everybody notified and get them down. But according to the experts we spoke to, that's just not nearly enough. There's OSHA regulation that requires there be alarms and sirens on site to, to notify workers and first responders in situations like this. And obviously, DeMonte, Cheryl, Ruben Holmes were not properly notified about what happened. So the evacuation, we saw the first big group of people leave about 10 minutes after the fire was discovered. And I spoke with experts who said that they could completely empty a high rise in less than 10 minutes. So that is just far too long of an evacuation period. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Again, you have some of the communications there that are just, I mean, jaw dropping. You know, you have the firefighters, a team of firefighters that went up there to the sixth floor to try to find them. They got you know, kind of lost trying to get out, you know, because of the heavy smoke, they couldn't find the stairwell down. There's a, you know, they're mayday, mayday, I'm low on oxygen. These are fi firefighters that went in to try to rescue these guys. I mean, and then, yeah, you think if, if it had happened a little bit quicker, you know, maybe the, those two guys could have gotten out. It's no, they could have got, they could have got to them. I mean, you know, and, and we, we spoke with these two experts, one was named Joseph Cervantes, the other is named Raymond O'Brocky. And these guys, I mean, they, they like write the fire code internationally. I mean, they're, they know what they're talking about on this issue. And O'Brocky, he would say that they shouldn't have needed to be rescued. If everything had been followed properly, they would have evacuated out of the building like everybody else. So that by the time the fire department got there, everybody was just standing in the lot. And one of the firefighters in the press conference um, that happened a couple of weeks afterwards said, you know, when we showed up on the site, there was 100, 150 subs in the yard. We didn't know if that was everybody or if there was more people who needed to be rescued in the building. So that's kind of part of the preparation and the evacuation is, you know, you should know if everybody's off the site when you arrive. You should have someone from that construction site who is the leader on, hey, we've gotten everybody out of this building. But to your point, firefighters rushing into a construction fire is so incredibly dangerous because all of the you know fire suppression stuff that's in an apartment building once somebody moves into it is essentially not there during the construction process. So this is just timber that's just fueling a fire uncontrollably. Firefighters don't want to and shouldn't have to go rush into one of these buildings, but they did in this case because there was two guys trapped on the sixth floor. Yeah, and how much do we know about how much this is sort of a one-off thing just at this site versus... How much is it kind of the culture of the construction industry? I mean, the really sort of scary thing is, it, it, you know, is this happening? Is, is Are these conditions present at all kinds of construction sites around Charlotte? So the experts I'm talking to say that this is uh, a 
a huge issue and it's prevalent everywhere that there's just a, a culture issue where a lot of the fire codes are not being followed. I went in and test that theory because I was challenged by some of these fire code experts to actually go to Charlotte construction sites and see if they had these plans. So for a previous report I did, I actually visited several apartment construction sites across the city, one of them right across the street from WBTV and asked them for their pre-fire plan, asked if I could talk with their fire superintendent. Um, they didn't pay me any attention, you know, asked me to leave. Well, a couple of weeks later, the Charlotte Fire Department shows up and shuts the site down for not having a pre-fire plan and for not having a lot of these fire codes that they're supposed to be following. And then in another example, the place where I get my hair cut, just by coincidence, didn't have a final fire inspection and didn't have a certificate of occupancy issued. Yet I was in there along with dozens of other people and small business owners who are, are conducting their business in there. So this really is a, an issue. I mean, if if I can go to the place across the street from our station and the place where I get my hair cut and find these issues, I mean, we're starting to find some evidence that this is a much more prevalent problem. We're just lucky that there's not a fire happening every single day at one of these one of these buildings or one of these construction sites. Do you get the sense that anything is changing? I mean, is this, did this incident make people kind of wake up and whether it's the fire department or whether it's contractors to say, hey, we got to kind of make sure that this doesn't happen to us because you know, we don't we don't want this to happen. Yeah, I have heard some of that kind of more behind the scenes. I mean, the issue with any investigation really is that nobody wants to kind of come out up front and admit we've been doing things wrong and now we're going to do things differently. But the site that was shut down that we visited, I spoke with one of the contractors there and he said that he started to notice a culture shift. Um, the fire department, the fire marshal, when I interviewed him, he said that they're going to put a lot more effort into uh, making sure that they are aware of construction projects when they start, which, you know, I haven't even gotten into that. But a lot of times the fire marshal's office might not even be notified of uh, construction projects starting because you have county building inspectors that are handling a lot of that. So there's definitely some stuff happening behind the scenes, but we want to make sure that that's talked about at the forefront because when stuff happens behind the scenes and you don't make promises, but you just kind of start doing things a little differently, you can easily slip back into the old practices. Right. Now, uh, your background is in TV news. You know, your career seems like it followed those of a lot of TV reporters. You kind of moved yeah. to different markets. You were in Burlington, Vermont, Naples, Florida, came to Charlotte at the end of 2018. You know, why come to Charlotte and wh what kind of work do you like to do for WBTV? I mean, so to, to your point, I mean, kind of the, the TV journey somewhat is, you know, start somewhere in a smaller market and, and kind of start moving up to a bigger city. But Charlotte, one of the people I uh, went to college with, Nick Oxner, he's the chief investigative reporter at WBTV, and he helped uh, get me a job here. So I definitely want to do that. And I went to school at Elon University in North Carolina. So Charlotte, North Carolina kind of felt like a, a second home already after uh, growing up in Jacksonville, Florida. And I've been it, here about five it, years it, now. Yeah, It does yeah. seem like there are a lot of Elon people There's well a lot represented of Elon people in the TV uh, news <laughs> industry in Charlotte. So how do you decide what kind of stories you want to pursue? Yeah, you know, I feel pretty lucky in that, you know, obviously when something huge happens like this South Park fire, like I mentioned earlier, everyone's invested in trying to figure out what happened. What I feel really fortunate about with, with my job and where I work is that, you know, when I was able to essentially do some reporting, showing that it's more of an issue and then really find this tre treasure trove of information with the, the footage and the radio communications and everything else, I was given the time to focus specifically on, on that. So 
you know, prior to that, uh, all my focus had been on cats and the struggles with the transit in Charlotte and the bus safety issues, the bus reliability issues, the light rail reliability and safety issues as well. So for the most part, you know, I'm kind of relying on sources, people who work in the city or in various industries who are telling me about different things that are going on. And then I'm kind of selling to my bosses, hey, I think that this is something that's pretty major. Uh, I'd like to focus on this for right now. And uh, so far, uh, I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting the um, ability to do that. And I think that it's 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 been very worthwhile, especially in the case of the fire. Yeah. How hard is it to do this kind of reporting, you know, investigative reporting in general? It, it strikes me as a few different things. Like it is nice to be able to have the time to do that. The other part of it is, though, if you're going from topic to topic, is it hard to build sources within each of these different areas? Or is it just a matter of, well, we'll start doing doing little stories. We'll shake some things loose. We'll talk to some more people. We'll make some calls. People call us. I mean, just generally, what is the what is the, being an investigative reporter like? Yeah, it, it can be really challenging. You know, I, to your point, it is nice to have a little bit of extra time to work on some of these stories versus uh, the off the grind that, you know, most reporters have to deal with, which is turning a story or two every single day. I'm usually doing like a story or two per, per week, which is, which is nice. It's really about um, a couple of things that you mentioned, I think are true. One is that you're doing little stories that kind of lead up to the bigger story. And that's how we were able to get all of this information for the South Park fire is because I had been doing stories uh, about issues with this, within the Charlotte Fire Department. The fact that they were 11,000 inspections behind for buildings like churches and businesses and restaurants and things like that. I did enough of those and then I was able to build some sources to get me this information. But the reason that I was able to even have some of these experts speak to me in the first place is because I had built good relationships at my last station in Naples, Florida, um, talking with fire experts there. And when I reached out to one of them, he recommended me to another expert who told me that he would have never given me the time today if, if this guy hadn't been willing to vouch for me. And, you know, I didn't think in a million years that that would <laughs> pay off like that, but it's really about just being trustworthy and having respect and being upfront about what it is that you're reporting and I found if if you're able and willing to do that, then you can you can give people's respect and they're willing to help you and guide you in the right direction. That makes a lot of sense. I'd also like to point out that the economics of investigative reporting are kind of difficult. I mean, there's not a great financial incentive for media organizations, I don't think, to do yeah. stories like that because you know you go to and I don't know I don't know the brass at WBTV, but. I imagine if you go to most of them and say, hey, we're going to take a whole bunch of time. We're going to take a bunch of staff time. We're going to do some stuff that's kind of expensive. And we're going to, at the end of it, produce a you know 45-minute video in four months. You know, I don't know what the reaction would be from a lot of places. I mean, it's not like you're doing some big investigation. And then at the end of it, all of a sudden, advertisers just come to your sales team and they're like, we want to lavish WBTV with a bunch of money because of this fantastic story you did on the fire. And, and I you don't know? see any of that money anyway. Well, so they do come, they, they're more than welcome to. <laughs> but right. I mean, I think it's more of a gradual thing where it's like, look, yeah. we, you know, we want to be known as a, a station that does good work, that does important work, and that'll build viewership. And if we build viewership, then we can, you know, that'll help us, you know, sell advertising, that kind of thing. And so I do think that you and your station should be commended for that. Is that is that the thinking? Like, what's the thinking on why you all do investigative news? Yeah, yeah it's just impo it's important work. I mean, you know, I'm, we're really doing this because there are people who have nowhere else to go to. I mean, by the time they call the WBTV Investigates hotline, they have probably exhausted every other option 
that they thought was possible for someone to help them. They called attorneys and been told no. They complained to whoever it is that's with the issue and been ignored. So by the time they're reaching out to us, you know, they're pretty much at the end of the road and there's there's nowhere else to go to in a lot of these situations. So we're trying to give a voice to those people. And, you know, one of the main reasons that I came to WBTV and I continue to be here is because, you know, as you mentioned, it's not like advertisers or, or, or people with deep pockets are jumping at the idea of a story that shows there's issues with major contractors. I've done several investigations that have um, exposed issues at car dealerships, some of the biggest hospitals in the region. That's not stuff that makes the people who spend a lot of money happy. But our station really backs up and supports that because we have a belief that doing good journalism, quality journalism that helps people over time is going to build viewership more and more and more. And uh, when people are watching, you have no choice but to, uh, to advertise. I'm not in sales at all. So that's just a very general take on right. that. You still got that firewall, I'm guessing, for the most part. I remember when I was back at The Observer, The Observer did a piece, on, it was a series on home builders and sort of you know, alleged shoddy construction in the home building mm. industry and home builders and, you know, the real estate industry, pretty big advertisers. So I, I mean, luckily on the news side, you're kind of insulated from some of that. And so you don't yes. have to worry, you don't have to have those hard conversations probably, but yeah, I, I certainly know some of the, the dynamics there. How would you describe Charlotte as a media market, particularly as it relates to doing these sort of, you know, serious in-depth stories? I think it's a, it's a pretty good media market. I mean, there's areas it's, you know, the issues where there are challenges, there are challenges in every other market across the country. I think for investigations, you have some really talented people here. Like I mentioned before, my boss, Nick Oxner, the chief investigative reporter at WBTV, I think does phenomenal work specifically on, on CMS and, and the schools. Uh, Nate Morbido at WCNC does amazing work as well. J Jason Sajanki at SOC does a fantastic consumer investigations. There's a lot of people who do some some very, very critical and important work. The challenge is that there could be a dozen more of us and it still would not even begin to dent into how many different things are worthy of investigations. I mean, as I've been doing a lot of this investigation on the South Park fire, there's been stuff happening with with cats and public transit that I've not been able to dig into as much as I normally would and and a bunch of other issues that are on our radar as well. So it's it's very, it can be overwhelming. And that's not in any way to make people feel sorry for us as investigative reporters. It's more about the people that we're trying to tell these stories for and try and help. They have to wait because there are so many different things that we have to investigate and only so many resources and so many people to focus on that, that you know inevitably some things don't make it to TV or don't make it a print because there's just a lot going on and very few of us. Yeah. So what's next on this fire story? Where does it evolve to? Are you going to stay on it? I'm guessing uh, there are going to be lawsuits. Uh, it sounds like I saw the statement, or maybe there already are, but you know, from Mill Creek Residential saying we can't comment because of lawsuits or potential lawsuits. It sounds like there's some of those maybe coming. Yeah, I think very, very likely to be litigation involved in this. I spoke with the attorneys and the parents of DeMonte Cheryl. And so, I mean, I think that's fair to say that's definitely something that's on the cards there for that. So we'll be following that closely as well and see what more happens from that. But, you know, for any, any investigation, really, we're trying to look at what's happening in this particular situation. And in this case, it's the South Park fire and see if these issues are, are replicating in other places and what the bigger solutions are. So already we've identified places where in North Carolina, 
the fire code has been weakened in a way that it hasn't been weakened in any other state. So we're trying to investigate issues like that. Our fire marshal's offices staffed enough so that they have enough inspectors to go out to this. Our contractors and builders being held accountable for when they're not following fire code. Those are all things that are currently on the on the radar right now and that I'm actively pursuing. Yeah, I mean, they say sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? So it's like the more light you can shine on these things. We are camera and our microphone. We just <laughs> we just burst through the front door with sunlight. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, again, congratulations on the piece. It's called WBTV Investigates Fire and Failure. You can Google that and it's available on YouTube. It's on WBTV's website. Any other thing, anything else? Anybody I want to I want to shout out our photographer and editor, Allison Fields, who put together, she edited this entire special. And the the real linchpin of this entire piece was a video that we showed the experts that ended up in this special, breaking down everything that happened second by second throughout the fire. She put all that together. She figured out the time confusion that was going on. So it's uh, her work and the work of a lot of other people at WBTV that really made this possible. It's it's a total team effort, really. Yeah, what's been the reaction since it came out? I think it's been it's been very positive. A lot of surprise. You know, there's most people who text me about it have mentioned just how heartbreaking it is, and and I felt that when I was talking with the parents of Demonte Cheryl. But when you're reporting on one individual thing for so long and focus on all the details and you see it so many times, uh, it's it's good that I've been reminded just how unbelievably sad the story is because everyone who's watched it has and reached out to me has just mentioned how incredibly sad it is that these two men lost their lives in a situation that could have been prevented. A lot of positive response from the fire department as well. And hearing that it's going to be shared at uh, various fire inspector offices across the country as a model of why what they do is so important. Well, great, David. Thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it, Tony. All right. That's a wrap. To our listeners, thank you for listening. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen